when will Republicans have as many women in office as Democrats, if ever? Seriously, that's your question? Seriously? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. And that's Julie Conway, executive director of ViewPAC, a group dedicated to electing more Republican women to the House and Senate. She's aware that Republicans have catching up to do, especially since the 2018 election, when voters propelled record-breaking numbers of Democratic women into office. Julie says that the success of Democratic women in 2018 is making it a little bit easier to recruit Republican women in 2020. You know, it's not just seeing that Democratic women were successful, it was hearing what they were saying and realizing, wow, I don't agree with them. However, now I know, you know, women can run. This is an okay thing and you can be successful. And I have a different opinion and I want to share it and I want to get my voice out there. We talked about the 2020 campaign, her tips for how to fundraise successfully and why it's time to reconsider some of the old ways of thinking about politics. Let the best man win. Unfortunately, the best man is often not the best because the best man is a woman. And now here's my conversation with Julie Conway. Julie, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you run an organization called ViewPAC. For our listeners who aren't familiar, what is that? Uh, I do. Uh, ViewPAC stands for Value in Electing Women. Uh, we've been around since 1997. Uh, we have one mission, and that's to help elect Republican women in both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. We have no litmus test. We want our female candidates to look like the district or the state they're running in. Certainly, we have uh, a variety of women across the country, and they get elected because they actually look and sound and reflect the values of their constituents. And uh, we've been involved in primaries since 1997. I know that's all the fad now, and so I'm glad that uh, the rest of the world has finally caught up to us in recognizing that primaries matter. And uh, getting good Republican women out of the primaries is the first step in actually getting them elected in November. Yeah, something you and I have talked a lot about is this kind of decision that for a long time people felt like they couldn't get involved in primaries, which was really a a disadvantage to many women who needed help and weren't maybe as well known or funded as some of the other folks in their primaries. But getting Republican women elected That has been a very steep challenge for the party. You've been doing it for a while. What what are the hurdles? Why has it been so tough to get more women elected, particularly at the federal level? Yeah, there have been tons of hurdles along the way. And I know that um, some of them were pushing to the sidelines, but it it, it has taken a long time. And there are a number of reasons. The most obvious is there's always only so many seats that are competitive out there. And You know, now we have a a more regular turnover in in Congress, whether it's Republicans or Democrats. You know, there was certainly a while when if you were a um, a white Republican male and you were elected to a to an office, whether it be in the House or the Senate, you pretty much sat in that seat for as long as you wanted it. And so there was less opportunity. And then when the opportunity arose in, say, a, a actual safe Republican seat, You know, on the sidelines, there have probably been a dozen guys that have been eyeing that seat as well. And often guys have, you know, more often run for president of their kindergarten class and have aspired to that seat or higher office their entire lives. And so they've been doing things all along to set them up 
uh, in a better position to run for those offices when they became available. Women, on the other hand, um, go on with their lives, uh, run their professional worlds, juggle all sorts of things. And so when those seats became open, they didn't have the ready infrastructure to jump into those races. Certainly, we have more women now uh, in, in state houses and, and state um, senates and the legislature and, and um, local elected office, but that hasn't always been the case. It's, it, it, it was, it's only in the last you know, 20 years uh, that it's become more common. And it just, it takes time, this stuff evolves. If somebody has supported a, um, a guy in, in local office, when, when he goes to run for you know, a higher office, they're already invested in him. And so whether or not you think he, he may or may not be the best candidate, you already have a dog in the fight. And um, oftentimes that's how you continue to support your, your local officials. And so happily we're, we're breaking that pattern. Uh, we see a lot more people entering um, competitive politics that have no background in, mm-hmm. in legislatures or other uh, types of elected offices. And so that has even the playing field a little bit. I think women finally, both Democrat and Republican, have realized that I don't need to have a certain resume. And you know, we can talk a lot about what, what, what Donald Trump has brought to uh, this situation. Uh, you know, some not great, but one of the terrific things the president has done has demonstrated that you don't have to have a certain resume to run for elected office and be successful. And I think that that has made a huge difference. And then finally, and then, um, is, is the money. Um, fundraising is always a challenge um, and it's particularly difficult for women. It's always been the case. I, I wish there were an easy solution to fix that. And money is a huge part of this game now more than ever. And if you can't show uh, that you can be successful on the fundraising side, exceptionally early, uh, people tend to look someplace else. And so if you've never had um, a reason to put together a campaign machine before with you know huge fundraisers, you know it takes a little time to get that up and running. And sometimes you just don't have enough time to figure that all out. And so someone else will step in and more often than not, it's a guy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different places we could go from this, but I do think, you know, we've had a lot of women candidates, a lot of women who are elected at all different levels on this podcast. And the biggest hurdle, besides the fact that usually they have to be asked multiple times to run, they don't ever put their hand up first to say, oh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the person who should have this seat, which is much more of a male thing to do, but is really the fundraising is it's uncomfortable. They don't like to do it. You are a professional fundraiser, right? You raise money for ViewPack and you give it out to folks. Can you give tips of the trade, secrets that have made it easier for you to, to ask people for money? Yeah, I'll just, you know, it's, um, fundraising is not easy. Um, I wake up and I think, how long have I been doing this for almost 30 years? I, you know, I, my mom still doesn't actually understand what I do. It's hard to explain. But you get used to it in terms of believing in what you are selling. Whatever job you do, you're in some sort of sales. I mean, the most obvious is, you know, you look at a car dealership. If somebody thought that their product sucked, they wouldn't sell it. They wouldn't be successful. And so um, you have to have exceptional confidence in yourself. And you believe that you will make a difference and that people need to invest in you because you will turn around and invest in their best interest once you get elected. And so for me, I believe in what I'm doing. I know that we have tremendous Republican women working their tails off to come to Washington to make a difference. And I hate to break it to you, but this is not a glamorous job. People think, think <laughs> it's all sexy. Mm, it's not. It's really hard. And so for these women that have really exceptional lives, uh, in, in, in most cases, tremendous backgrounds, great experience, 
Um, you know, they don't need to come here and put themselves and their families through this, but they want to because they believe in the cause. And I, and I think the, the, the more you can um, get your arms around that, and, and, you know, the more successful you are that, you know, it's not about, you know, you necessarily, it's you as what you will bring to the table. And I just want to go back for a second on the, um, the historic problem of having to ask women multiple times to run. I, I think that has certainly been the case, you know, you know, over my career it has been, but I'll tell you that has really changed in the last two to three cycles, especially in 2020. More and more women have realized that they can absolutely be a part of this. Um, they, they, have a, they have a voice that they want to share. Um, I will tell you in um, March of last year, so March of the off year, I had probably talked to more women who had raised their hands themselves to run or at least were interested in how the process worked in a very serious way than I had in all of the 2018 cycle. And part of that absolutely has to do with the success of the Democratic women in 2018. You know, it's not just seeing that Democratic women were successful, it was hearing what they were saying and realizing, wow, I don't agree with them. However, now I know, you know, women can run. This is an okay thing and they, you can be successful. And I have a different opinion and I want to share it and I want to get my voice out there to counterbalance the voice of the Democrats. And I think that, that was a, a huge, huge reason why we've had um, such success this cycle in terms of getting women interested in running. Well, I want to take a step back. Tell us where did you grow up? What did your parents do? How, you know, kind of who was Julie before uh, VUPAC? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a little bit of a unicorn. I grew up in upstate New York. Um, Woodstock was in my school district. I graduated with a rainbow and a cloud and a sunshine. True story. There was a little pocket of Irish folks in my community that were all Republicans. Everybody else around us were Democrats. And so uh, you sort of follow in your, in your parents' footsteps. Uh, my, my grandfather uh, was our town superintendent of highways, which is an elected position. And so he was always very active in politics. My mom was the postmaster in my small town for over 30 years. So I have a lot to say about the current situation that has nothing to do with my current life. Um, only knowing that I was never allowed to order something and have it come via anything other than the U.S. Postal Service growing up. Uh, my father worked for the highway department, so uh, he, he, he worked on the roads in the summer and he plowed them in the winters. And so I came to D.C. to go to school. I loved politics. And I knew this is where I wanted to be. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I've been in D.C. since 1989. And uh, one of my very first jobs was, uh, was fundraising, and I've done it ever since. I was really lucky. I went to a boutique fundraising firm on the, on the U.S. Senate side, and I had the fortune of working with some really tremendous Republicans heroes. Uh, the first person I ever sat in a call suite uh, with was uh, Senator John McCain. You know, when you go to a tiny firm, life is very different than if you're at a big firm. And I was just blessed to land someplace where I could learn from some of the best in the business and have opportunities that some kid from upstate New York never thought thought possible. For the most part, I've always been lucky enough to work for uh, both men and women that um, I can really be proud of and believed in them. And so going back to your original question, it was really easy you know, to, to raise money for them because I believed in them. 2020 has been bizarre in about a million ways. And there are things that are exceptionally difficult to um, get your arms around right now. Um, but the one thing that has been consistent is how lucky I am to work with really incredible women that 
if they are elected, will make a difference for the good of this country. And I believe that in my heart of hearts. Otherwise, I couldn't be doing this every day. We've talked a lot about 2018, the year of the woman. Obviously, lots of Democratic women, the biggest class historic uh, that had ever been elected. Only 13 of those in the House were Republican women. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of talk about how things are getting better. There's more, as you said, more women are running. They don't have to be asked as much. Um, but there have been a few women Republic candidates this cycle. I think uh, probably most infamously Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a QAnon conspiracy theorist um, that have gotten through. Does that hurt your overall cause when there's some of those candidates that have fringe ideas that they're supporting? Yes, absolutely. Hard stop. Um, I know a lot of people might rock back and forth on that question, but to me, you know, there's, there's really nothing to think about there. Yes, it absolutely hurts the brand because, you know, to be fair, we'll back up. Um, it, the 88 Democratic women that were elected last cycle, um, there were a few in that class of 88 that, you know, were on the fringe of the Democratic Party. You know, certainly AOC uh, and the rest of the squad. Look, I get it. Not all Democratic women are like AOC, right? So the Republicans did a really good job of using the most extreme example to paint a picture. And so certainly by the election of Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, the Democrats are naturally gonna use her as the most extreme example. And so that really damages our Republican women that are um, working exceptionally hard to bring people together, to get elected, to, to move legislation, to create public policy to make this country better and not double down on what separates us. And so uh, certainly for the 13 Republican and Republican women in the House, the 11 that are running for re-election, the fact that they have to discuss this at all is a colossal waste of time and energy when they need to be talking about all the things that got them to where they are to begin with. And certainly for our crop of um, amazing Republican candidates, you know, there, there are very few that fall into the category of a Marjorie Taylor Greene. Most of them fall much more into the category of, of a, a Kathy McMorris Rogers and Elise Stefanik. You know, I, you know that's, that's where these, these women are and this is what they're fighting for. And so it, it does do damage and it, it, it takes time and energy away from what we should all be focusing on. And that is electing, you know, in my case, in our case, Republican women that uh, once they get to D.C. will have a positive impact on our country. So I am very passionate about getting more women of both parties elected and in leadership. I think it's, it's very important. I'm kind of unabashed about that, uh, which is different for a reporter. Usually that's not something you, you put your stance out there on that. But every time I interview Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell or House uh, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, I always ask them about this question. And they always say, yes, we want more women. That's, that's great. But do you think that's one thing you think that the leadership of the Republican Party could do actually to get more women elected? Because I feel like they're very pro it in terms of maybe the commentary, but, but is, there, is there concrete things that would be your ask of them that you think could actually make a big difference? Yeah, so how long is this? How long are we doing? <laughs> um, well, a couple of things. One, uh, I, I know that Leader McConnell and Leader McCarthy genuinely believe that electing Republican women is important. Now, I will also say that it makes it a little easier for both of them to say that since the 
the balance of power in the U.S. Senate and conceivably if we were to get the majority back in the U.S. House rests squarely on the backs of <laughs> electing and reelecting Republican women. And so, you know, when you realize that, you know, a good part of your army happens to be women, all of a sudden you're making sure that they have the right resources and they are armed in a way that will make them competitive in ways that you might not have in the past when it when identity politics didn't really matter and you know electing women wasn't you know we liked it but it wasn't you know really a priority because you know instead of understanding that having Republican women actually changes the makeup gender wise, but it, it changes the way people approach policy and how conversations happen around a table. And, and so going back to specifically what they can do, I get the joke that playing in primaries, it, it's a double edged sword, right? And, and you want to let it play out, you know, let the best man win. Unfortunately, the best man is often not the best because the best man is a woman. And so we really have to look at those races, um, Look, candidates matter. Um, you know, we have a number of examples this cycle already where there was a terrific Republican woman who didn't emerge from the primary, who I think, quite frankly, would have been a much better candidate in November. Um, and so had the Republicans gotten the leadership more involved in those primaries, could it have made a difference? Absolutely. Should they have? You know, probably if you're keeping the eye on the ball and if what matters is winning in November, um, and this goes back to, you know, the number of women we have running this cycle, you know, the number 227, 228, um, this record number of Republican women who have filed to run in the U.S. House. I mean, that's awesome. However, we all know the reality. You know, there are probably 30 competitive seats in, 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 the, in the entire country, 50 if you squint really hard and you come up with some path to victory that conceivable, but right, exceptionally unlikely. And so, you know, even if we were to elect a, a record number of Republican women this year, you know, 12, 13. The narrative, my fear, is going to continue to be with 227 Republican women, they, they still only elected 12. And that's, that's really an unfortunate narrative. And so I really want to push back against that really hard. When you started this, 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 this part of the, um, the, the interview, um, you talked about the importance of, of electing women across the board, and I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think our country needs to look a lot more, I mean, I think our Congress needs to look a lot more like our country, and, it, you know, we have to do everything we can to make that happen. And so going back to the competitive seats, um, you know, Politics 101, the most vulnerable candidates, you know, in, in any given cycle are the freshmen in seats that they just won from the, from the opposite party. So right now we have, you know, 88, you know, uh, Democratic women sitting in the U.S. House, a bunch of them elected last cycle for the first time. So these Democratic female freshmen, naturally, they, they are our number one targets. And so as it has worked out, um, the five most competitive seats in the country uh, on the Democratic, you know, it, it, with the Democrats sitting in those seats, we will have five Republican women running against them. And so while that is phenomenal and nothing like this has ever happened in the past, you know, it doesn't bring me great joy to have our Republican women taking out the Democratic women. You know, I'd much rather be running our amazing women against, you know, middle-aged white Democrat guys. You know, that would be more satisfying to me. You know, we're never going to achieve parity in this country if it's, you know, now we have seats that are women's seats. You know, that's, that's not helpful. And so... You know, there's a lot going on this cycle, you know, beyond the numbers. And I just, I worry about getting hooked on those numbers. And I think Cook currently has between 
um, Democratic toss-up and Republican toss-up seats. I, I think it's I, I think it's about mm, twenty, maybe 30, 30 seats, twenty-eight, thirty seats, maybe. And out of those, we're going to have you know almost half of those competitive seats on the Democratic, you know, with incumbent, incumbent Democrats, will have Republican women in those seats. And again, first time ever. I mean, not even close. And so we've made tremendous strides. Um, we just have to, you know, keep fighting and winning. And, not, you know, we have probably five seats currently that I, w- I would tell you um, these women will be members of Congress come November right now. They're sitting in exceptionally safe Republican seats. And again, that's never happened. And so that's great news. But, you know, we'll see what happens in, in November with the rest of them. I mean, they're really competitive. We have great women, but, you know, it's 2020, hard to know. You talked about Donald Trump as being kind of a net positive in some ways because of people that never saw themselves as politicians, you know, saw a pathway for it. I know last cycle talking to a lot of Republican candidates that were women also struggled having to kind of answer for the latest scandal or, you know, have to answer to a lot of things that were happening What's the sense that you're getting from the Republican women candidates you're talking to, you're helping about kind of the Trump factor this time around? Yeah. Always a complicated question. Yeah. You know, with everything, there's good and the bad. But I will say for our women specifically candidates, it depends where you're running. I mean, there are certainly districts in this country where uh, the president's numbers are huge and haven't really faltered. And there's other, other districts where you know, it's more marginal. Certainly the suburbs continue to be a, a, you know, a challenge and a problem. But I, in my little pop, popsicle stand here of helping uh, women in the House and the Senate, I, I tend to stay away from the presidential politics except for how the numbers look in a certain district. And so the vast majority of our women certainly agree with basic Republican tenets and, and policies. You know? And so you know, if you're looking at policy and positions, you're probably going to align with the president. And, and, you know, there needs to be a reminder that, you know, the president only signs legislation that comes out of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. And so while he certainly has an agenda that he drives, at the end of the day, it's our local, local, you know, congressmen and women, uh, U.S. senators that determine what it is that gets to the president's desk. And so I think that's what our candidates are focused on. And that's how you should run a campaign always, regardless of who's sitting in the White House. You know, I think that the president gets a lot of attention for all sorts of reasons. And a lot less focus is put on the things that have actually been accomplished in the last three and a half years. And when you have a divided House and Senate, as we do, uh, it's pretty remarkable that, you know, as much has been done in the last four years. All right. Last question. When you talk about gains that Republicans have been making with, you know, having more women run, potentially having, you know, a historic class, even though it'll still be pretty small for uh, women in the House. When will Republicans have as many women in office as Democrats, if ever? Seriously, that's your question. Seriously. (laughs) Come on. Uh, <laughs> why don't you ask me to, to, to predict exact, the exact score of the electoral college coming up? Um, look, we're going to keep fighting. I, I don't know the answer to that question. And I don't know that it needs to be 100% parity across, uh, across the, the, the Congress. However, we need more diversity. And, and I, I don't mean that just in terms of men and women. We need we need more diversity in Congress. This is a very diverse country. I always, I always compare it to Europe, you know, and you think about these countries in Europe, you know, Ireland is the size of Georgia. You know, like you just think like, you know, we've got a lot going on here. And so we need to make sure everybody is represented and has a voice. And look, I think we, we should keep fighting, fighting, fighting for more women, 
period. I certainly want more Republican women. And quite frankly, the guys need more Republican women. You know, uh, we do a better job of reaching across the aisle, coming to some sort of common ground and, and taking victories when we can get them. We are, we are for the most part, not an you know, all or nothing. I'm gonna take my ball and go home if I don't get my way you know, kind of approach to, to, to governing. And I think that's really important. So, you know, I don't know the answer to your question, but I know we're making progress. The numbers don't really add up right now, you know, in terms of actual elected, you know, officials, but, you know, we're doing everything we can. And, you know, it, once you know, we're looking at a new census, we're going to get some redistricting in places that always makes a huge difference. Seats need to be more, more competitive. You know, if we continue to gerrymander in the rest, we're not going to see a huge difference. It's just, it's just how the math works. And it's not about how great a Republican female candidate is. If she's running in a district that can't be won, it's not relevant. And, you know, in terms of the numbers, you know, I'm not doing this for participation trophy. Like I'm not going to do a victory lap unless we win. And so that's the reality. And, you know, I'm pushing, pushing, pushing for to get as many women through the finish line in November as possible. And I don't know what that number is going to be, but I, I can pretty much guarantee it's going to be a lot better than it is now. Is it going to be double the amount? I don't know, but it's going to be better. And we have to take better as a women rules produced by on. Zach Stanton. All right. Well, Gucci thank is you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Santa, if you're anytime, a fan of the show, thank please you. subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at apalmerdc. You can also join the Women Rule community by texting WOMEN to 66866. We wanted to tell our listeners about another great podcast, Tilted. You'll hear fascinating conversations at the intersection of gender and culture. Hosted by Lean In CEO Rachel Thomas, guests include transparent creator Joey Soloway, LGBTQ activist Jacob Tobiah, and comics Cameron Esposito and Lauren Lapkus. They'll discuss everything from fighting burnout to raising boys who don't get stuck in the so-called man box. So check out Tilted every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.